Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. I want to start off today with uh, something a little bit special. In the world of sports of any kind, college football, uh, regular, you know, professional football, baseball, uh, you name it, basketball, it doesn't matter. A lot of the press conferences in the, in this in this industry can be very lacking in content. You know, a lot of nothing answers from coaches or players or whatever, just saying the typical stuff you'd hear in a press conference. You know what I mean? And then we have a light in sh- a, a light shining in the darkness, a knight in shining armor, if you will. And his name is Mike Leach, uh, head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs football team. One of the goofier characters you'll find in coaching today. Uh, one of the more fun characters you'll find in coaching today. He kind of does something basically each week that is kind of picked apart and laughed upon because he's just kind of a goofy guy. He's a funny character, that pe- a caricature, if you will, uh, that people like to not necessarily poke fun at, but laugh with because he's just a goofy dude. And he gave us one of the greatest moments in press conference history. Uh, maybe not in terms of him giving us content more so than just accidental content. This was on Saturday after his Mississippi State Bulldogs beat the Auburn Tigers 39 to 33 in overtime. And this was one of the, uh, I, I don't know if I can call it an answer, but one of the, uh, one, we'll call it an answer. One of the answers that he gave us to one of the questions. This is from Jimmy Traina on Twitter. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. One of the great press conference moments, I think, of all time. I, I didn't even get to um, event that, you know, and then all of a sudden, well, they're kicking it off. <clears throat> and then, uh, <clears throat> I'm working on this trademark cough. What do you think? Um, it's getting better, too. Um, well, then <clears throat> we marched it downfield. <laughs> I I thought we could have been closer, but and then, well, he made. Th- he is, just, <laughs> he's just, he is just absolutely going to war with the phlegm that is in his throat and trying to knock it back so that he can finish whatever it is that he is trying to talk about. I don't even know really the context of whatever that question is. Other than the fact he's talking about the football game clearly and the phlegm just comes up in his throat and he is fighting for his life to beat the phlegm back down his throat. And and you know what? He he prevails towards the end. But man, it was a battle there for about 30 seconds. Mike Leach gives us one. It feels like at least once a year we'll get one Mike Leach quote uh, quote that will stick with us for the rest of the season or the rest of the year or anything or something like that. An event that happens with Mike Leach that will stick with us for the rest of the year. And that one is definitely going to stick with us. That is one of my favorite uh, press conference moments I can remember just because of how much he is just fighting fighting to beat down the phlegm. I've been there, Mr. Lee, Coach Leach. I've been there, okay? You get the phlegm in your throat. You have to beat it back down because you're in the middle of a sentence or something like that, and it just won't go away. I understand. Coach Leach, I get it. My, my heart goes out to you. I wouldn't ma- I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you're fighting a little bit of acid reflux or something like that as well because I get that too, and it just comes up out of nowhere, and you got to beat it down. Let's listen to it one more time. Let's listen to Just listen to this battle he goes through for this 30 seconds, fighting for his life. To beat this phlegm back down. I, I didn't even get to um, event that, you know, and then all of a sudden, well, they're kicking it off. And then 
<coughs> I'm working on this trademark cough. What do you think? Um, it's getting better, too. Um, well, then <coughs> we marched it downfield. <laughs> I, I thought we could have been closer, uh, but just, there's there's a moment there towards the end where he is saying, <laughs> "Well, then <coughs> we marched right here, it downfield." The phlegm almost gets him; it almost peeks up there and grabs him and brings him back into the depths of his stomach. But he prevails. <laughs> I I thought we could have been closer. truly a masterful job. By Mike Leach, truly a masterful job. One of the great moments in press conference history. Just that's the realest thing any coach could go up there and do during a press conference is just beat back the phlegm that is coming up your throat. Ever you're just screaming on the sideline for three and a half hours in the middle of a game that went to overtime, you come out and get the victory. And the realest thing that you could do, not answer any questions or anything like that, go up there, beat the phlegm back down your throat because it's coming up because you probably have acid reflux. And you're beating it back down, and you beat it in the 30 second time frame where we all think you're probably going to die. And uh, Mike Leach, you know what? Props to him. I mean, props to him. That was from Jimmy Trina on Twitter. Big, big thanks to sharing. The big thanks to him for sharing that video. Uh, man, Leach, that was he had he had a couple of doozies in this press conference. I don't have the other clips in front of me right now, but he he has a couple other doozies uh, during this press conference that uh, basically that went viral. I would say in the sports media world, and uh, that was clearly one of them. One of the uh, an all time moment for Mike Leach. That's one of my favorite Mike Leach situations. I think I can remember, and he's got a bunch of he's been co- he's been coaching for forever. It feels like he's been in this game since I can remember since I've basically been started watching. I started watching football when I was a younger kid and it feels like Mike Leach has always just been somewhere. I mean, somewhere completely random, whether it be Texas tech, Washington state now Mississippi state. I mean, it feels like Mike Leach has just been everywhere and he's been, uh, he's been giving us gems, (laughs) absolute gems, uh, like that. Uh, welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I said this already, but welcome to the show. I thought I'd intro it with that because that was one of the one of my favorite moments of the whole weekend uh, with that press conference and one of my favorite sports moments of the whole weekend in general uh, was that press conference. Uh, welcome to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I'm James Timberlake. Remember to uh, rate, follow the show if you haven't already. I really appreciate that. If you, you can listen to this anywhere you'd like, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever podcast platform you'd like to listen to the show, you can listen to it on any of those platforms as well as Shared Media dot com and podcastwyoming.com and feel please feel free to share it with your friends it's a local podcast here recorded right here in beautiful sheridan wyoming up at the sheridan media offices so feel free feel free to share it with uh, your buddies here in sheridan if you're listening to it or whatever what have you your family members i'd like to just get the podcast out there in the world a little bit more and i'd really appreciate that uh tell all your friends we're having a good time here and that's what we do that's what we do in this podcast we have a good time just like mike leach here we have a good time uh all right let's start with some of the uh, topics from today uh world series is over it's over astros win it and uh, no matter what you have to say Whatever, what anybody thinks, okay, no matter what anybody thinks, the Astros are now one of the great, uh, not, not the greatest dynasty, but a dynasty, I would say. Uh, one of the more dominant teams of the past 10 years, almost, eight, seven to eight years, 2017, you can wash it if you'd like, absolutely, but they've been arguably the most consistent team of the past seven to eight years, uh, even over the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been obviously a fantastic regular season team. 
but the 2020 season was the only year that they came up with the World Series ring. 2017, you could make that argument as well. They got there in 2018, lost to the Red Sox as well. But year in, year out, Astros have been to either the Championship Series or the World Series the last seven or eight years. I think this year was their seventh straight uh championship series game they went to uh the alcs their seventh straight alcs that they have gone to which is an absurd number i I believe that broke the american league record or tied it if i remember correctly when the when they when they beat the mariners to get there i believe i remember that's what the commentator said it was it either tied the american league record or uh beat the american league record for most consecutive seasons going to the championship series if i remember correctly um so whether you hate them whether you like them i mean they are a dynasty uh, by all means, the best team in the American league for the past seven, to eight years, for sure. Uh, just consistent greatness. 2017, you can watch, like I said, if you, if you're one of those people that wants to put the asterisk on the, on the, on the world series ring, you can do that in 2017, but you can't do it on 2022. They've proved themselves. I think they've more or less washed their hands of the situation. Uh, granted, it will be brought up in other circles, of course, but you can't take away the 2022 ring. I mean, as of right now, it took a couple of years for that, uh, for the other scandal to break out, obviously. But as of right now, they've, I think they kind of got the monkey off their backs, if you will. And uh, the world champions, the Phillies, man, the Phillies, they put up a better fight than I thought. The darlings of the playoffs, if you will, the wild card that everybody seems to fall in love with, kind of the kind of the dogs, if you will, the D-A-W-Gs, uh, a lot of people uh, you know, Harper, Schwarber, kind of those guys, the dogs, if you will, uh, and the underdogs as well. I mean, the, uh, you know, but they, they were that in the entire playoffs. You know, nobody expected them to get to the World Series. I don't know if they can replicate what they did this year because a lot of what they did getting into the World Series and even the playoffs kind of, I mean, they got hot at the right time, got a little bit lucky and found themselves in the World Series. And that's kind of how it always goes with the wildcard teams like that. They have to have a couple things that bounce your way. You have to get hot at the right time. And like I said, I I said this at the beginning of the playoffs, there are at least one team every single season, it feels like, every single postseason in the MLB that you can pinpoint as the underdog team that you want to be rooting for because they're the wild card team that can make it the whole way. And there's always a single, it feels like there's always a team that does that every single postseason. And uh, this year, it was the Phillies. I think they only won like 88 games this year, and the Astros won uh, over a hundred. I think the difference was one of the biggest differences in terms of world series matchup uh, in the history of the MLB, one of the biggest differences in the history of the MLB. So I don't know if the Phillies can replicate it. They have a couple of contracts. They're going to have to look at Harper is going to be there for a while. Obviously he signed a 10 year contract when he went to the Phillies. Uh, so he's going to be there for a while. And you know, God knows he played well in the postseason. Uh, one of the better postseason performances we've ever seen was from Bryce Harper. Uh, but also, you know, they have some pitching question marks. I think they have to work out in their bullpen, the deeper side of their starting rotation as well. And, you know, but, you know, I think they overachieved. Uh, They didn't overachieve in the regular season necessarily, but they definitely overachieved getting into the postseason and getting to the World Series. So if you're a Phillies fan, I don't know how much you can really, you know, you tip your cap to this team. I don't know how much more you expected out of this team or as the season with, you know, at about the all-star break this time, uh, about six months ago, I don't know how far you really thought you were going to get, you were going to be. If I would have told a Phillies fan in July that you were going to be one of the World Series teams and, you know, basically two games of winning from winning, uh, two games away from winning the World Series, I wonder how that reaction would be. They'd probably call me crazy. So 
that's just how baseball goes. You just have to get lucky sometimes. You have to get hot, and that's all it took for them. They got hot at the right time. They got a couple bounces that went their way. A lot of those guys in the back end of their bullpen and the lower part of their, uh, uh, actually, I mean, really the higher part of their rotation, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola really played well during the postseason until the World Series. Aaron Nola got beat up a little bit in the World Series, and Zach Wheeler had like one bad game. That kind of cost them. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's all it takes for the MLB postseason. It's awesome. That's why MLB postseason is so much fun. It just takes a couple bounces for one team to really make that whole, uh, to take that whole, I mean, they hit five home runs in the World Series too. So it's not like, you know, it's not like it was all luck. I mean, they're a solid team, but you know, all it takes is a little bit and they can they can use that as motivation to go all the way through into the World Series and win a World Series. Sometimes that's all it takes, and it's it's super fun. That's why the MLB postseason, there's really nothing like it. You won't find that in, I don't think, the NBA. You rarely find that in the NFL, but we have, you know, there have been obviously some wildcard teams that have gone on to win Super Bowls and stuff like that. It's hard to find that in hockey, uh, it, even though hockey is even more random, but it's it, for some whatever reason, it's harder to find those underdogs like that really go on uh, and win Champions Stanley Cups or anything like that in hockey. So, it's interesting. Baseball just kind of has this weird development cycle, this rotating cycle where the underdogs find a way uh, or one team, at least one team will find a way in the postseason. Maybe they went on a crazy win streak towards the end of the year and then they're just hot getting into the postseason and that's how they win games in the postseason. It's interesting. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, it's fun. It's fun. I love the MLB and I love the postseason just for that. And now we have to wait till February. <laughs> Got to wait till February for more baseball. Uh, again, a World Series, by the way, in November. That feels sacrilegious. I, I did not like that. I get that was because of the strike towards the beginning of the year. Uh, well, I guess at the beginning of the year, but still, I, I was like, man, watching baseball in November feels weird, and I did not, I did not really like that. To be honest with you, I, you know, no more strikes, please. Let's uh, let's just get this going and get this over with by the end of October. Or, you know, I've said it a thousand times. Let's just take a month off, get it done by September, and then you'll be the most popular thing during the baseball season. A hundred percent. You know how little people I think were actually watching the fact that the Astros threw a combined no hitter in one of their games. If I'm just alerting to this this to you now, yeah, the Astros threw a combined no hitter in the World Series against the Phillies. I think it was game five. They threw a combined no-hitter. How about that? Did you know that? If you didn't know that, now you know. They threw a combined no-hitter in the World Series, second no-hitter in World Series history, and I don't think anybody really cared because I believe that game fell on a Sunday night or something like that, and everybody was watching football. Same thing happened for um, Saturday. They're, uh, the, the day they won the, the, the chipper, uh, the day they won the World Series championship. I It was a Saturday night. We had a fantastic college football game on in Alabama LSU, and I don't. I I'm willing to gamble my money to say that Alabama and LSU probably outrated the Game Six of the World Series in the MLB. I'm willing to put money down on that. That, that happened. I bet that happened. And you know what? Let's look it up right now. I'm looking at SportsMediaWatch.com. Uh, I have no idea if this is a credible site or anything like that. This is the first thing I typed in when I said sports ratings. Let's check out and see if I will eat my words if I'm losing money. Uh, notably, Game 6 was not the highest rated and most watched sporting event of the day, trailing the Tennessee-Georgia college football game on CBS earlier in the afternoon. Uh, okay, so fair enough. I, I will take, uh, that's a push, I guess is what we could call that. That's a push in the betting market. We'll take that. It did comfortably outdraw the competing Alabama-LSU game on ESPN, uh, though the strong performance from that overtime thriller no doubt ate into the baseball audience, according to to sports media watch. So it was not the most watched thing on uh, on Saturday afternoon falling to Georgia, Tennessee, but it did outrate the competing Alabama LSU game. That actually surprises me 
Uh, I thought Alabama and LSU would have drawn more of an audience. I guess uh, it probably they probably more people switched to that as that game went into overtime. That was a fantastic game, by the way. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, so that probably you know definitely bit into their audience, obviously. And I'm surprised that the Georgia, I mean, not really the Georgia Tennessee game was basically a one versus two. Um, but you always kind of assume prime time as being the 7 p.m. time, and I would assume Tennessee Georgia would have had less than game six but obviously i'm wrong tennessee georgia was the most watched uh event that happened on that saturday and that fi- that's you know uh, i don't doubt that at all it, it's you know, it's really funny to me that we're such a football driven country uh the united states is that the minor league equivalent of the nfl that being college football is still driving such an audience that it beats the highest peak the biggest game of the MLB season game six of the world series. The biggest game is being outdrawn is being outwatched by basically a minor league football game, a Tennessee and Georgia. That is how, that's how much football dominates the daily cycle in this country and just dominates the daily sports cycle in this country. Saturday it's college football day. No matter what it's the, I, I also read here is uh, that game six between the Astros and the Phillies was the first Saturday Game or the first uh, the first Saturday game six in 19 years since Marlins and Yankees back in 2003 different era of television as well. So it's interesting you can see how much of the 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 paradigm has shifted towards college football. Saturdays you don't touch. Sundays you don't touch. No matter what sport you are, you can have maybe one or two games or whatever. Even basketball. Basketball is like we don't t- regular season basketball. They're like we do not touch. We do not touch Sundays. We don't touch, we, you know, put barely any scheduling on Saturdays, but we do not touch Sundays. We have like a few games on Sundays and that's because football dominates so much of the sports realm in this country that even the other sports, even the the biggest sports in our country, the other biggest sports in our country do not want to go near the Sundays or the Saturdays in this, uh, in the, in the sports world, in the broadcasting world. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy to me that that uh, football has that much control over what we're watching on Saturdays and Sundays, and then even, you know, Mondays, Thursdays as well. Um, but Thursdays is a little bit more, I mean, given how bad the Thursday night football games. Last week was pretty good between the Eagles and the Texans. It was a little bit better than we thought, but the matchups just don't, you know, I feel bad for Prime right now, even though that's a stupid thing to say because they can, I mean, what they spent to get Thursday night football on Prime was like a fraction of what they actually have. So, you know, I don't feel bad for them, but it's interesting to see how bad their scheduling has been. I think it's, it's, <laughs> It's Falcons versus Panthers this Thursday, which is, oof. I mean, we just had a really good game between those two, but I don't know if they can do it two weeks in a row, uh, or I guess two out of the next the last three weeks. I don't think so. Uh, they just Panthers got blown out by the Bengals last weekend, and the Falcons dropped a very very bad game against the Chargers. And I don't know if the these two, I don't know if they can do it two weeks, uh, two week, two times in a row. Uh, between the Panthers and the Falcons having another good game, I don't think so, especially on short week notice as well. I just don't think it's going to happen. So. Anyways, yeah, I just think it, I find it I find it interesting how much of the uh, how much of the world is how much of the, the broadcasting world is shifted on focusing on football more than anything, especially on the weekends, because they know that football is going to dominate the media cycle because of how much the ratings are, I, how good the ratings are for even you know, like I said, the minor league of college football that is the minor league to the NFL essentially at this point we're basically playing college football to get prospects for the NFL and then the NFL takes them and puts them in the professional league that's basically essentially what college football is it is the minor league of of professional football and it's still drawing more people to watching it than the biggest game in the MLB this season game six of the world series it's still drawing more people it's just wild to me I, I it's 
we love football. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Speaking of football, let's talk some football. Uh, congratulations to the Astros, by the way. Uh, you know, they deserved it. They were the best team in the AL this season. Uh, not the best team in the MLB. That was the Dodgers, and they lost in the divisional. Uh, but the best team in the AL the entire season. Better than the Yankees, I would say, consistently throughout the entire regular season. And then into the postseason, they were the best team in the AL. And uh, they deserve it. They were the best team in the in the, in the AL this season. They beat uh, the, the Nationals and the World Series. And uh, they're champions. Congrats to the Astros. Let's move on. Football time. Some college football time. Uh, Alabama. <laughs> Alabama's gone, ladies and gentlemen. They have two losses. They have two losses. It's over, Alabama. It's over for them. They will not make everybody get in their prayer circle, light the candles. Alabama will not make the college football playoff. I'm saying that. I don't even know if I believe it. You know why? Because somehow, some way, the college football playoff committee is going to find a way to sneak them in there because it's Alabama. How can they not be the best team in the in the call in college football? That's what they're going to say to themselves. I can see it now. If they go and run the table, if Alabama goes and runs the table, gets into the SEC championship game, they can still get there. They have to win out. They have to have LSU lose their final two games of the regular of the regular season. I think to drop them with to three losses in the SEC. And if Alabama wins out, they only have two losses in the SEC, which pushes them into the SEC championship game. And God forbid that happens. God forbid Alabama wins out. LSU loses their final two games of the season. As uh, Alabama gets into the SEC title game, they play Georgia or Tennessee or whatever. Probably Georgia at this point, and Georgia loses to Alabama. God forbid that happens because the world will be a wreck college. I would, I would, oh man, the college football playoff committee would have probably the toughest time in their history, not putting Alabama in because it's a two loss team. They won their conference. Obviously that would actually be very interesting to see what they did there. Can you put a two loss sec champion in the, in the, in the college football playoff in Alabama in the playoff? If the teams they lost to, they didn't beat. So they wouldn't have beaten the Vols again, and they wouldn't have beaten LSU again. The two teams that they lost to, they didn't They didn't beat again. They didn't make up those losses, if you will. And the only team they beat would be undefeated, one-loss Georgia or whatever. Would the playoff committee... So the other answer to this, because this is completely hypothetical, obviously. We have no... LSU is probably going to win the last two games of the season or, you know, two or two of the three... You know, two of the three final games of their season. So completely hypothetical, but the hypothetical is interesting because Alabama has had this weird dominant mental game played over the college football playoff committee that they are one of the best teams, one of the top four teams in the country, regardless of their record. If they've lost two, or they've lost one or two games in a season. It seems like they kind of are a shoe in to the college football playoff, regardless of what their record is. It's super, super annoying. Um, but I, I think a hypothetical would be interesting where Alabama wins out. Uh, LSU wins their final two games of the season. So Alabama gets into the SEC title game. They play an undefeated Georgia. They beat undefeated Georgia. Would the college football playoff committee put in Georgia, a one loss Georgia team without an SEC championship, without an SEC title, would Georgia still get into the playoff and Alabama not make the playoff? I think that's an interesting hypothetical. I would be interested. Would you, the college football, would the college football playoff committee be willing to put in a one loss at large, essentially uh, one loss at large Georgia team over an SEC champion two loss Alabama team. And then Alabama doesn't make it in assuming Ohio state wins out and uh, you know, uh, TCU wins out there undefeated and they win the big 12 title, even a Oregon uh, one loss team. They win the pac 12 or something like that. Uh, Michigan, their only loss would have come to Ohio state. They wouldn't have won 
the uh, Big Ten because if Ohio State makes it into that into that uh, title game, then Michigan does not make it in because they're in the East or whatever the whatever the hell they call their uh, their uh, their divisions, if you will. So it's interesting. I don't know. I really have no idea what the committee w- committee would do in that situation. I don't think they have such a such a hold. Alabama has such a mental hold on uh, on uh, the college football committee. I think it'd be very interesting to see what they would do. If you had Georgia, I think you would have, if that scenario plays out and Alabama wins the SEC that way, Georgia has the one loss on their record after conference championships. I think it would go Georgia still gets in regardless. If Georgia's undefeated and they lose to Alabama in the SEC title game, I think they're locked at that point. Just similar to last year, I think no matter what, that game will matter more to Alabama than it would be would Georgia, and I think Georgia gets in no matter what. Uh, I think Georgia gets in. I think Ohio State will get in. I think they'd be undefeated at that point other than, you know, it, it really depends. If Ohio State loses to Michigan, then Michigan will get in uh, if they win out after that. Ohio State still has a chance to get in even though they have the one loss, no conference title on their resume either. But then you have to throw in the fact, does TCU get in? TCU, if they're undefeated, they're almost certainly going to get in after winning the Big 12. They're undefeated. You can't leave out an undefeated team of the college football playoff. They get in 100%. Uh, Then you have to think about Oregon. Oregon, an undefeated Pac-12 team. Does their one loss equal Alabama's two losses in that scenario? I have no idea. Their one loss came to Georgia at the very beginning of the season where Georgia completely dominated them, and then Oregon's looked pretty solid ever since. I think Oregon probably gets in over Alabama at that point, and they're the four seed or whatever. So I think it would probably go uh, Georgia, whoever wins Ohio State uh, versus Michigan, TCU, Oregon. Uh, those would be the top four. And then, you know, between Ohio State versus Michigan, I think whoever wins that game uh, goes on to win the Big 12 title. And then the Big 12 champion gets in as the two or three seed or whatever. And then whoever Michigan or Ohio State, the loser of that game drops out one of the last four, one of the last teams out as the fifth ranked team in the country. They go play in like a Rose Bowl or something. I think that's what happens in that scenario. But I also find it interesting. I think if Ohio, see, I think because We've seen how the college football playoff committee kind of gives leeway to certain teams. Ohio State's one of them. If Ohio State loses that game, they only have the one loss on the record. I think they're given more leeway because we've seen how dominant they can be uh, on offense, especially. And they have one of the premier players in the game in C.J. Stroud. I think that they would be given more leeway and possibly another spot, a spot into the college football playoff, uh, a fourth spot or something like that. Uh, over you know uh, one of the other teams, you can't get rid of a TCU that's undefeated. So I don't know what you would do. Uh, maybe in Oregon they would get rid of an Oregon, even though if Oregon wins their conference, I don't know how you would be able to get rid of Oregon in that scenario. The perfect scenario for uh, for the college football playoff committee, obviously, have Alabama lose or something like that, or TC or LSU win out, then you don't really have to worry about it. LSU's got two losses as well, and if they beat Georgia, then you can have that conversation. Sure. They, that would be a fantastic, two fantastic wins for LSU as well. So that would also be a similar conversation. Best thing that could happen for the college football playoff committee. LSU wins two of their three games, so they're out automatically. And then LSU, or, and then uh, they go in and lose to Georgia or whatever in the SEC title game. Georgia's in automatically. Ohio State beats Michigan, uh, wins handily in the Big Ten Championship. Or Ohio State beats Michigan handily, goes in and wins the Big Ten, Big Ten Championship handily. They're in, obviously. TCU wins out. Big 12 champion, they're in, obviously. And then Oregon wins, wins out, wins the Pac-12 championship, they're in as well. I think that's the cleanest way you can do it. I think that's the only way. Uh, that's what kind of the playoff 
uh, the college football playoff committee is ro- committee is rooting for uh, just so they're not getting you know plastered around on Twitter or anything like that getting slammed uh, that would be the easiest top four that they could possibly have is if basically all those teams went out Georgia Ohio State uh, and then TCU and Oregon if those teams all went out all become their conference champions then they're all in. I think that's the easiest way you can do it. Uh, it just gets a little bit messy. If LSU loses uh, two of their last three games, Alabama wins out. If Michigan wins out, I mean, uh, Ohio State's been the, one of the better teams in the league. I'm not an Ohio State fan, by the way. I'm not an Ohio State fan. Uh, but I, I think the, the the committee clearly gives leeway to certain teams and uh, players, obviously, depending on who they are. And I think Ohio State would be given the benefit of the doubt, if you will, given that situation, depending on how the rest of the teams finish. And I think they could sneak in. I think of Ohio state, Ohio state needs for the committee. The Ohio state needs to win that Ohio state Michigan game. So they don't have to make that tough decision that, uh, do you leave CJ Stroud and that really potent Ohio state offense out of the college football playoff? Because obviously people want to watch Ohio state and that potent offense. I have no idea. I think it would be very interesting, but I also think that the college football playoff does not want that to happen because that would make their decisions very difficult. And I don't think they want to be doing that. I think they want it clean, simple, easy. They go into that random hotel that they go into or whatever and have that meeting in that random conference room that we've all seen the pictures of with all the TVs that are right in front of them. And it feels like it's a wall built with TVs and then there's a desk in front of them with a TV. It's really weird looking. It looks like something out of total recall. Uh, But I, I think that they want to walk in there, look at the list, top four teams in 30 minutes and they get out and then announce it to the rest of the world. And then everybody knows what the teams are before they even come out of the meeting room because it's obvious. I think that's probably what the college football community wants. They just want it to be done easily and uh, they can get out of there. And TCU, by the way, we're, we're not talking about this enough. They beat T- Texas Tech this, this past weekend. They are ranked fourth in the college football rankings, but it's a quiet fourth. It's interesting. Uh, we're getting more, we're hearing more about, I mean, it is the SEC, obviously, but we're hearing more from like Tennessee, LSU, all those other teams, even the USC's, Clemson's. Uh, TCU is not getting enough love, in my opinion. 9-0, and one of the better teams in, the co- in college football. Probably one of the more su- bigger surprises in college football so far this year. Other than, I would say, Tennessee. Tennessee's really blown up. Uh, on the uh, onto the scene and then I mean USC they hired Lincoln Riley as well so I mean everybody kind of expected that to work out uh, UCLA has been pretty surprising but TCU I've been stunned by how good they have been uh, I'm an Oklahoma fan and I'm like wow I, we played them earlier this year and they thoroughly dominated us and I was like wow this is a very very good team uh, and I'm just been kind of surprised by how quiet that's been I mean we've heard a lot from the top three the SEC obviously uh, and TCU's just kind of slid in there undefeated quietly undefeated Top four, I mean, may surprise some teams, but may not. I mean, it's really hard to tell who they, what they would be able to do against a team like Ohio State. Georgia, I don't think would be a competition, in my opinion, to be honest with you. Georgia's kind of on another level right now. The fact that they were able to shut down that and create that crazy offense in Tennessee uh, and basically keep them quiet and then ruin Hendon Hooker's chance of uh, winning a Heisman. I mean, that's peak Georgia. I mean, that, that's what they do. So I think Georgia's low, uh, you know, high in a way, the best team in the country right now. And uh, the only match that so far kind of seems up to their task would be would be Ohio State, even though they didn't have a great game either this past weekend. But they were playing in like 55 mile an hour wind at Northwestern. So, uh, you know, whatever. I, well, well, you know, I, I just find it interesting that TCU is is quietly a quiet 9 and 0 up to this point. Uh they've put, they've been better than I think a lot of people realize and I think it's, you know, it's TCU. I don't think a lot of people pay attention to TCU to be honest with you. So, it's interesting. Uh let's move on here. We'll move on to the NFL week eight, lots of, uh, lots of bad football. There was a lot of bad football this weekend. Lots of, uh, uh, mistake riddled football. 
games that were not that fun to watch. And uh, let's start number one. Uh, let's just get this out of the way. Let's get the funeral done with. Uh, let's lower the casket into into the dirt. Plug it up. Bury it. Say five Hail Marys or ten Hail Marys. And uh, let's get out of here. Um, lines over the Packers. Packers is still over. It's over, Packers fans. I hate to be that guy. I'm willing to say it now. I'll put my hand over my heart and I'll say it. It's over, Packers fans. It's over. It's done. Uh, the season's over. I won't say you know uh, the whole the whole you know start to start the tank train. I won't say that yet. But the alarm bells need to start ringing. Uh, Aaron Rodgers looked terrible. Uh, not good in that game. Not good at all. He was bad in that game. That was so disappointing. Uh, the Packers that the, that Lions defense has been ran all over all season long. They've been destroyed by. Numerous teams, teams that had no no business being, you know, running over the lines like they have, and the Packers just could not do anything. Aaron Rodgers, I think he had three, like, essentially goal line interceptions that were just uh, bad plays, bad passes, bad situations, uh, and uh, I think it's over for the Packers. I think it's done. They need to start wrapping it up, put a bow tie on it. It's over. Vikings won this weekend as well, so that only increases the lead in the division. Uh, it's it's over for the Packers. It's done. It's uh, I think Aaron Rodgers needs to hit the hit the old Zen mode get into the meditative stance, get a new weird tattoo, and then start thinking about next season, all right? And then also, go to your front office, sit down, and tell them, hey, if you don't give me a damn wide receiver, I'm out of here, okay? That's what you need. That's what he needs to do because he's got nothing. I mean, he's got nothing. Uh, they've they've done nothing for him. I feel bad for Aaron Rodgers only because the only, re- the only thing I feel bad about Aaron Rodgers for is the fact that he is... I mean, he had Devontae Adams for a long time, obviously. He turned Jordy Nelson into a solid wide receiver, but he has really had no help other than like the past, whatever, five or six years or whatever it was for Devontae Adams to be there. Other than that, though, I mean, it's been pretty barren, and I feel bad for him in that reason. And then whenever they go into the draft, they draft something completely different than skill position players. They drafted a quarterback that they think is going to pan out in some way in Jordan Love, even though we have no idea if it's going to pan out. We have no idea when Aaron Rodgers is going to retire. If it's any point towards the end of Jordan Love's rookie contract, why would you re-sign him at that point? I mean, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to pay Jordan Love the big bucks if you have no idea what you're going to get out of him. You know, I'll be honest with you. I think Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, for the 25 years or whatever it was that they kind of tandem off of one another, they have really clouded some, some, some or I guess hidden a bad organization in terms of decision making. I mean, really, they have really clouded, uh, helped a good or a bad organization in terms of decision making look better than I think they really are because it's kind of like coming out of the woodwork at this point. They just have nobody that can help Aaron Rodgers. No, uh, you know, the, the the offensive line has been kind of a struggle this year. Of course, they've had they've had some issues uh, injury wise on the offensive line as well. But the wide receivers, the skill positions. I mean, other than. Devontae Adams for the past three to four years or whatever, however long it's been, you really can't point to a situation or a a draft pick that I think offensively you can point to as a Packer fan and be like, yeah, we got that one right. I mean, I don't think you can off the top of my head. Really, I mean, it's hard to think of, uh, and I think Aaron Rodgers kind of just makes everything look a lot better. Uh, That entire situation look a lot better than what it actually is. And you you know the classic saying, Winning cures everything, and I think that's kind of the case for the Packers, and it's kind of coming out into the limelight now. That's um, a much worse, uh, I think, situation than I think a lot of us probably knew at the time uh, or right now either. And uh, I think it's—I mean, I think it's now. I think now we're really going to see how effective and good the uh, the the front office of the Green Bay Packers is with how bad they're playing right now. I think it's time to—they're going to be—they're going to be, you know 
tanking not tanking at this point, but they're going to be looking at a at a, at a early uh, early first day draft pick at this point uh, because they're just not good. They're not a good football team overall. Their offense is not good. Uh, it's not fun to watch. I mean, Aaron Rodgers kind of looks lost up there at this mo- at this point in time. And uh, it's been hard to watch. Uh, they're they're not good. Every team that the Lions have played, they've basically been run over. And uh, for whatever reason, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and his offense could not do a single thing uh, against them. So, yeah, it's just an interesting situation. I have no idea what to take from it. I have no idea what to take from Aaron Rodgers. I have no idea what to expect from Aaron Rodgers. I don't I don't want to say he's done. I don't want to say that yet because, you know, uh, Tom Brady's still doing it at 45. And I think if Aaron Rodgers wants to, he could probably do it for that long if he'd like to as well. There's no reason to doubt that he could. But it does happen very fast in this league, really, the the going from the top to the bottom. We saw it with Roethlisberger where we, the Steelers fans were basically begging him to leave after his final season or, you know, a few years before his final season in the NFL because of how poor uh, he looked out there in a Steelers uniform. It happens very quickly. Matt Ryan as well. His arm looked shot. They benched him. And uh, now we have Sam Ellinger, which, you know, uh, not any better in my opinion. I think that's arguably worse. It's interesting. What We'll move on to that next game, actually. The Pats and the Colts. I wanted to bring this up a little bit. This was a bad game. Not, I mean, the Colts pretty much dominated that entire game. But I don't know what the Colts are really doing. Uh, I don't think Sam Ellinger gives you a better a better chance to win any of the games that you're in than Matt Ryan, even with Matt Ryan having a very bad year uh, in terms of Matt Ryan's ability. Uh, Sam Ellinger, I, in my opinion, I think the Colts are probably the worst team in the NFL with Sam Ellinger quarterback. I mean, they just iron the, the, the playbook shrinks by uh, like down to like 10 to 15 plays. And it just does not look good. The quarterback Ellinger is like running around like he's got a whole lot of athleticism when I don't think he's really all that athletic uh, in terms of his running ability. He was never really known for his running ability Uh, when he was quarterbacking at Texas. He was much more of a not a pocket passer, but he threw the ball a lot more. You know, they're using him like he's Justin Fields. And I don't think that's really uh, an effective way to use Sam Ellinger. I really have no idea what the Colts are doing at this point in the NFC South. It's not like. It's completely out of reach. I mean, Titans lead it. They're six and three, obviously, but the, the the I mean, it's not completely out of reach, you know, compared to like the Lions and the Vikings or 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 the Commanders and like the Eagles or anything. It's not that far away. Um, so I, I I don't know. I have no idea what the Colts are doing. I think unless there's an undisclosed injury that Matt Ryan has suffered or something like that that we don't know about uh, or something like that, I, I think Matt Ryan is clearly the better quarterback of the two, obviously, and I think he clearly gives them a better chance to win. I think at this point. They're just, I want to say tanking. I mean, I really don't know what they're doing. I have no idea. It's crazy how much that, I mean, they had a similar situation to Green Bay where you had it set up. I mean, Peyton Manning was the quarterback there for, uh, what was it, 15 years, 16 years, constant top of the top of the conference teams with the Colts for basically my entire childhood. It was basically Peyton Manning and the Colts uh, and Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. I mean, that was those were the two best teams in the AFC basically year in, year out. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Peyton Manning's getting older. He retired or he, he moved to Denver, I guess, essentially gets traded away to Denver. And uh, and then uh, Colts are scrambling. I mean, they're not really they had a plan in place, obviously. Uh, they traded away Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, this fantastic quarterback, quarterback prospect, one of the best quarterback prospects we'd ever seen coming out of Stanford. They trade away Peyton Manning because I know he's getting old. He just suffered a really bad neck injury. Uh, and then they trade him to, to, uh, to the Broncos to have a really bad year, obviously, to try to get Andrew Luck. They get Andrew Luck, and it looks like they're going to do the same thing that the Packers did with Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. They're going to move from one fantastic quarterback to another fantastic quarterback. And then Andrew Luck abruptly retires. 
which nothing against him. He looks, uh, we saw him at the, uh, at the national championship game between Alabama and Georgia, uh, basically this time or a couple, like nine months ago or whatever it was. Uh, and he looked great. I mean, he looked like he was doing fantastic, but it's interesting how much that decision really set back the Colts. I mean, they were on their way to having another dominant 15 year run in the AFC. They had to put a couple things around Andrew Luck to make them a little bit better. But if they were running out there with Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, uh, with Andrew Luck at quarterback. Oh my God. I mean, that's one of the best teams in the AFC right now, 100%. And their defense isn't bad. I mean, it's been pretty solid so far this season. Uh, but if they're running out there with Andrew Luck, Jonathan Taylor in the backfield as well, Michael Pittman and his wide receiver, something like that. Alec Pierce has come to the front uh, and to the front as one of the better wide receiver prospects, uh, young wide receiver prospects in the league as well. Uh, that's uh, a top team in the AFC still today. So it's crazy how much that team was really affected by uh, Andrew Luck announcing his abrupt retirement. They were trying to find... Uh, patches more or less to fix the leaking ship. Carson Wentz, they tried Philip Rivers for, you know, aging out Philip Rivers for like, I think it was a year or two years. Carson Wentz last year, they tried to do it with Matt Ryan to, to, to fill the hole in the ship as well. And it hasn't worked out. It's just, it's crazy. They're really trying their absolute hardest to plug the holes by getting, you know, a uh, free agent quarterbacks that they think they can work with older free agent quarterbacks or uh, aging out free agent quarterbacks, and especially in Philip Rivers and Matt Ryan. And they just haven't worked. And it's just, it's a bad look for the Colts. Uh, I really, they fired Frank Reich. Uh, this was like two, a day ago, two days ago, as of Tuesday, uh, I guess yesterday pretty much. Cause they would have been playing on Sunday, obviously. So they fired him on Monday and, uh, they they put in uh, Jeff Saturday as their interim head coach. I have no idea how that makes any sense to me. Uh, he's a TV personality. I mean, obviously he played for the Colts for a long time. He was their center when uh, when uh, Peyton Manning was there, but he has zero coaching experience in the NFL. I, it feels like to me that was just a hire because of the face that was you know a part of the Colts dynasty years with Peyton Manning and they just kind of hired him to be the interim. I have no idea how that's going to work out for the Colts. It just didn't make any sense to me for them to hire that guy as the interim head coach. When you've got defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators in your group that can be the interim head coach. If you're still, if you're, I mean, if you're trying to tank at this point, just throw in an offensive coordinator and just have him run whatever he wants to run. I don't know. I, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand. I mean, Jeff Saturday hasn't had, uh, as far as I know, he hasn't had any uh, relationship with the Colts franchise in terms of coaching or anything like that since he's uh, retired from football. He works at ES, he worked at ESPN for a long time uh, before he got hired on to be the interim head coach. I have no idea. I don't know what the Colts are doing there. I just don't really get it. Uh, so, I mean, we'll have to see if that sort of stuff pans up, but they're going to have to, they're basically going to have to go back to the draft, hope they hit on another quarterback, and then try to rebuild what was once one of the great teams in the AFC. And I think right now with Sam Ellinger at quarterback, that's not it, obviously. And I think they're one of the worst teams in the NFL uh, right now with Sam Ellinger at quarterback. They just, they just don't look good. They look bad. Speaking of teams that used to be bad but are now good, the Dolphins. Uh, how about the Dolphins? They're probably, they beat the Bears this weekend, and it was a little bit of a scare for the Dolphins, I will say that. Uh, Justin Fields... Uh, we Ryan Clark last week and he works for ESPN as well. He's one of the football analysts. He got heat for saying that Justin Fields was up there, uh, like right behind Lamar Jackson in terms of athleticism. And he was catching a lot of heat for that, uh, for that point, that opinion that he made that take that he made whenever he made, I think it was on NFL live or something like that. And I think that's a good take I, after what we saw on Sunday with Justin Fields. I think he had 15 carries for 168 yards or something ridiculous like that. And a couple touchdowns. 
Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we could put Justin Fields up there with. Um, he's not as a complete player as Lamar Jackson. Obviously, Lamar Jackson can still slang the football a little bit better, uh, and Justin Fields is still kind of building his passing repertoire. And it doesn't help his offensive line is truly abysmal, but his athleticism is is pretty astounding. I mean, he was making uh, linebackers, QB spy. They were putting the Dolphins were putting spies on him basically all day and they were missing tackles on him. He was running through guys. I mean, he was in juking people out, spinning people out. He looked real good uh, on Sunday. One of the, probably the best game Justin Fields has had since he became a pro and uh, came up a little bit short. The Dolphins, obviously I think they're the third best team in the NFL, arguably the most dynamic and difficult to cover wide receiver, right receiver duo in the NFL right now, I think and Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Both of those guys are probably going to have over 2,000 yards receiving by the time the season ends. Tyreek Hill's already at 1,100, and uh, Jalen Wallace is already at 812. Uh, Tyreek Hill at this point is a lock for Offensive Player of the Year, I think. Uh, not MVP, obviously, because that's a quarterback award more than like, more often than not, but we're halfway through the season, and Tyreek Hill is putting on an absolute show. 1,104 yards, and we're only halfway through the season. He's going to hit 2,000 yards, basically no problem. Uh, and he's, in my opinion, a lock for Offensive Player of the Year. He's only got three touchdowns on the season, uh, but he had one last weekend, and uh, you know, I, I think that's probably going to change. He's averaging 122 yards per game. Uh, he's a stud, obviously, Tyreek Hill. We thought maybe when he left Patrick Mahomes, I think a lot of people thought that he was going to drop off, but he looked better. I mean, he looks better than now than he did with Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion. And he's getting tar- he got tar- He's been targeted 100 times and has 76 receptions. They're probably the third team, third best team in the NFL or the uh, AFC right now. I think they're better than the Ravens overall. Uh, they have a couple injuries on the outside and cornerback and uh, defensive back that they have to kind of figure out what to do with. They got gashed by the Bears, obviously, in that game. But I mean, this offense is is very fun to watch. If you haven't watched a Dolphins game yet this year, go watch a Dolphins game because it is a blast. They basically just tell uh, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, go get open, and t- and and Tua Tagovailoa will hit you. Wherever you're going to be, and it's going to be it's going to be a touchdown, or it's going to be a big play. That's essentially what they're doing, and it's working. It's working very effectively. Jalen Waddle's got six touchdowns on the season. He's got 112 yards, 70 targets, 47 receptions, uh, 90 yards per game. It's basically those two guys with Tua, and they, this is not a team. I, they're in a very tough division. Obviously, uh, I don't think they're going to eclipse the Bills. I don't think. I, I mean, they'll probably eclipse the Jets in terms of divisional finishing, uh, but I don't think they're going to eclipse the Bills. They have the tiebreaker on the Bills as it stands right now. They beat the Bills earlier this year, but I mean, they still have to play them later in the year. Um, but I, it'll be interesting to see where they end up. If they host a playoff game, good luck. I do not want to play this team at home uh, or on the road if you're the opposing team against this team on the road in Miami. Uh, this is a dangerous team that I would not want to play. It reminds me a lot of uh, the Bengals last year. Their their offensive line isn't uh, isn't fantastic, but they have the two guys on the outside that are studs, Tyreek Hill and, uh, and Jalen Waddell. They have a quarterback that is coming of age, if you will, He's got almost 2,000 yards on the season already. 15 touchdowns, three sacks, or three interceptions. He missed uh, three games this season because of concussion. Because of a concussion, and uh, I mean, he's been fantastic. Uh, I guess he's missed two games. Excuse me, this year, uh, not not three. Uh, two games this year because of concussion, and he's looked fa- you know fantastic in all the games that he's played in for the most part. Uh, he had a, a fantastic game against the Ravens earlier this season, where he came back in the fourth quarter and won that game uh, with the rest of the Dolphins, and then uh, the game against the Bills. The game against the Bills maybe a little bit of a uh, 
a complex victory, I would say, or confusing victory than uh, than in what it seems. Yes, they won in the in the in the scoreboard, but the box score says much differently. Uh, the Bills should have won that game handily, uh, given the yardage and and how many plays they were running and stuff like that. So, uh, one, maybe one of the more difficult victory to assess than uh, the the actual victory itself, if you will, the wins and losses. Uh, but yeah, I mean the Dolphins, uh, they're a blast to watch. If you haven't watched them yet this year, go watch a Dolphins game because they are electric if you uh, absolutely electric one of the great one of the one of the better teams in the AFC for sure uh and speaking of one of the better teams in the AFC Jets over the Bills the Jets how about the Jets the Bills uh something's wrong with Josh Allen I, I'm gonna say that right now I think there was something clearly wrong with Josh Allen. he's injured I think they came out and said he's got an uh, UCL problem which is in your elbow that's what you get Tommy John surgery on if you're in baseball you know what I'm talking about it's the Tommy John surgery uh, that usually puts you out for a year I don't know how much it affects you in football, I don't know how much of a difference it is, but they did say that he has an issue with his ulnar collateral ligament. Uh, I don't know if he's going to need Tommy John or if it's a different surgery or something like that, but there is something wrong with him. It's clearly looked that way uh, on on uh, Sunday against the Jets. The Jets, though, uh, I'm very surprised. They hit absolutely fantastically on their draft this past season. They they drafted Garrett Wilson, who's been a stud. Sauce Gardner is going to basically the, I mean, he's more or less a lock if he doesn't get hurt of winning defensive rookie of the year as well. Uh, and then, uh, and then uh, Brees Hall as well. What a fantastic draft. The rest of that draft doesn't even matter if those are the three guys that you got in Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson looks like he's going to be a very good wide receiver for a long time. And then Brees Hall looks like one of the better running backs who's going to be around for a long time, even though he got hurt two Sundays ago towards ACL. So he's out for the rest of the season, but he was also at that point, a lock to win offensive rookie of the year. So, I mean, you really don't even have to look at the rest of that draft class. Just those three guys alone can win you that draft and what a draft it was for them. Uh, truly incredible. All three of those guys were doing are paying dividends on that team right now. And uh, the Jets, I, I don't think it's too far-fetched to say right now, they might have the best defense in the NFL. Uh Top to bottom, good rush defense, solid pass defense. Sauce Gardner looks like he's going to be the next Darrell Revis. Knock on wood if he stays healthy. Uh, he's been very good for that team. And, uh, I mean, he was kind of, uh, he didn't have an outstanding game against Stephon Diggs, but he was shadowing Stephon Diggs the whole game. And uh, Stephon Diggs, there were a couple times where he was just locked up. He was locked up, and there were a couple times where Stephon Diggs beat Sauce Gardner. But uh, he looks a lot further along than a lot of other rookie cornerbacks that just come fresh into the league uh, usually do. He's 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 an absolute stud. And the Jets, man, six and three, uh, and impre- even without six and three, basically on the on the backs of their defense and a pretty decent run game. Their quarterback play has been abysmal. I mean, Zach Wilson has not been good when they don't have Zach Wilson. It's been Joe Flacco. He basically had one decent game this season, and the rest of the the other three that I think he played in were not very good. Zach Wilson has been pretty not uh, pretty bad I'll say up until this point and uh it you know was more of the same from Zach Wilson this past week and it was it was the defense that essentially won them that football game and uh yeah I mean I've just been very impressed with the Jets the, the Jets the J-E-T-S Jets 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 mockery phrase is no longer a mockery Jets fans can be proud of their team because they have something brewing in New York uh, and I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes from here I'm curious to see if they uh, I don't think you're if, if I'm the GM for the Jets right now, I don't know if if this is the end of Zach Wilson's. I, I think you play Zach Wilson for the rest of the season, obviously, uh, just to see what you have uh, in quarterback. I don't think you have a quarterback, but just to, you know, you'll have a definitive answer towards the end of the year if you play him for the rest of the season. Um, 
I don't think they have a quarterback. I don't think he's very good. He did go 18 for 25, only 154 yards and a touchdown, though, against the Bills. But uh, I think you play him for the rest of the year. I don't think you're subbing out Joe Flacco. You're way ahead of schedule if you're the Jets right now. You're just working out the rest of the kinks. You have your defense locked in Sauce Gardner. Lots of young guys on that defense. Uh, Quinton Williams as well up on the defensive line. Solid defenders on that team. And uh, I think you kind of just work out the rest of it for right now. And this season it's not a wash or anything like that you can maybe play in a wild card game if you keep playing like this um but you know i I don't think you're super bowl or bust for this season i think this is all uh the cherry on top of the cake if you will cherry on top of the ice cream or whatever uh so uh, yeah i think the jets are way ahead of schedule so they can kind of work with what they want i don't think you bench zach wilson at this point or anything like that if he has a bad game i think you kind of work out zach wilson see what he has towards the end of the season if he's showing promise towards the end of the season then roll him out next year if not then you're looking for another quarterback answer in the draft or something like that towards the beginning of next year. So it'll be interesting to see what the Jets do. They play in a very tough division. Uh, They will play the Bills again that time next time on the road. And uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. But the Jets way ahead of schedule and a solid team, uh, very solid team, especially on defense. So Jets got that going for them, which is nice. Uh, Then finally, we could talk about uh, the Bengals over the Panthers. That was a blowout. Bengals dominated in that game i was uh not necessarily stunned i i think i was i was a little surprised by how good the Bengals played given uh the fact that they just lost jamar chase for like six to seven weeks or whatever it is uh i was pretty surprised by how, how good they played i thought they may be a little shell shocked quote unquote from that uh from that loss i thought they would the offense would look a little more stagnated but man they looked good joe mixon uh if that's the guy that they're going to ride on if they're going to throw him out there running routes all day uh if he's going to play like that obviously then i don't think they're going to be missing very much but he had 22 carries 153 yards four touchdowns and then a couple of receptions as well and then one for a touchdown uh there as well but again it is the panthers uh the panthers aren't very good pj walker kind of had uh uh you know a, a solid game against atlanta but this game was abysmal three for ten nine yard nine nine yards two interceptions they put baker mayfield back in the game actually they benched pj walker put baker mayfield in there baker mayfield played fine 14 for 20 for 155 yards and two touchdowns in that game, which is, that's fine. But by then, the game was basically over. I mean, it was over at halftime. It was 35 nothing at halftime. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the Panthers aren't a good team. I don't know if, you know, Bengals fans can't say, oh, okay, we're going to be okay. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would say that yet. I really don't know if I would say that because uh, Jamar Chase will be a big, it felt a, a bigger loss uh, felt against a better team for sure. So that was an interesting game. Uh, Bengals dominate in their win against the Carolina Panthers. And uh, I think, I think that's it. I think that's, those are the, the big games that I wanted to talk about the four o'clock, the four o'clock hour this week, only two games. We only had only two games this week. That was disappointing. That was kind of boring to watch too. Uh, I mean, it was, I, I made the observation on Sunday. I was like, you know, the situation is bad when the Buccaneers and the Rams are playing as well as the Seahawks and the Cardinals. And I'd rather be watching the Seahawks Cardinals game. That's kind of where I was at on, uh, on Sunday afternoon, Buccaneers Rams game ended up being a pretty good game towards the end. You know, Tom Brady does his thing, uh, you know, winning touchdown drive for the bucks in the final minute or so crazy game. 36 for 50, 83. He's throwing the ball almost 60 times and he's 45 years old, 280 yards and a touchdown. Just a, a fine game for Tom Brady. Uh, the Rams, I think you could start ringing the bell as well. Uh, they're really Kind of a questionable team. They have Cooper Cup, and that's about it on that offense right now. Offensive line has been a complete disaster for them as well. They've, I mean, it's really something you have to look at because for the Rams, they've got they completely, completely went all in last year on winning that Super Bowl. They sold draft capital away, and now if this is the team, this is the product you're going to get now because your most of your offensive line is gone. 
He didn't have a lot of money to work with in the offseason. Rams are probably, if they don't start trading guys away for some more draft capital in return, and they have famously said, F draft capital, you know, we don't we don't want them picks, uh, then I think they're probably not going to be very good for a long time, uh, for, for a while at the very least, if they don't start getting rid of some guys for some more draft capital and start building up through the draft. But... I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't work for this team. They they probably they might see something that we don't, obviously, and that gives them a little bit more hope. And then, uh, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Buccaneers. I mean, who really knows with that team either? Like I said, this game was bad up until basically, essentially, the final minute and a half of this game, where Tom Brady went on the went on the the game winning drive, which you know we've all seen seven thousand times before because it's Tom Brady. That's his trademark. Uh, finally, Chiefs Titans. That was a good Sunday night football game. P- went into overtime. Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I mean. That's his MVP performance right there. Completed 43 passes, 68 pass attempts for 446 yards and a touchdown. I mean, it's, you know, it's classic Patrick Mahomes. I do worry, though. I will say I do worry. One, uh, clearly this team, the Chiefs defense can get can be run on Derrick Henry. 17 carries, only 17 carries from Derrick Henry, but 17 carries, 115 yards, two touchdowns. This team can be run on. He broke a couple big runs early in the game. Derrick Henry did in that in that matchup against the Chiefs. And I think they can be run on. Plus. If Patrick Mahomes and this offense, they do have a situation over the top, in my opinion. They lost Tyree Kill, obviously, as a guy that could kind of bust it open downfield. But uh, ever since then, they they've found you know uh, some some uh, some fixes, some slight band aids to that situation. But I think in the long run, when you come to the playoffs, when you have more time to focus on one team that you're going to be playing against, I think it'll be interesting to see how they fix that situation come playoff time. Uh, because, you know, Travis Kelsey is not going to be running the streak. He'll be the security blanket uh, every time Patrick Mahomes drops back. If that's not his first read, it's only, almost certainly his second read every time. So it'll be interesting to see if it's not Kelsey, then who will it be? I don't think anybody's really stepped up in that role yet uh, of, of those wide receivers. We see Juju have a couple goes, uh, have a couple good games. McCall Hardman's had a couple good games. So I don't know who the one or the two is to that Travis Kelsey, uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, triangle, if you will. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see as it goes along. But those are, I mean, that's the kind of the, the that's probably the biggest slight on the uh, Chiefs so far. They can get run on. Obviously, they can get, they can, they can get gashed in the run game. And then uh, they need to find that third guy uh, that completes the triangle of Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. They need to find that third guy, whether it be a wide receiver, another tight end, whatever, uh, or even a running back. I mean, then we see it with Joe Mixon. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I don't know. I I think it's uh, I think it's something they'll probably still be searching for towards the end of the season. To be honest with you, I haven't seen enough to think that Juju or McCole Hardman are the answer to the Tyreek Hill is missing problem. Uh, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. It really is a it was a bad week for football. I mean, honestly, in terms of in terms of playability, I think that um, the 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 Chargers and the Falcons played, and towards the end of that game. There was a play that the Austin Eckler got the ball. He's, I mean, they're essentially trying to run the clock out against the Falcons. They're winning that game. I think they're, yeah, I think they're winning that game or it was tied. They're either winning or it was tied. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but uh, Austin Eckler, Eckler gets the ball, cannot fumble in this situation. Do not fumble the ball whatsoever. Guess what? He fumbles the ball and then a Falcon picks it up, runs down the sideline. Oh, snap, he gets tackled and then he fumbles the ball and then a Chargers lineman falls on it. That was the epitome of this weekend in football. It was just kind of ugly. Not a lot of really good football. Bengals, probably the best team that played dolphins, maybe up there as well. But then we get sneakers like the lions Packers game. Uh, and then the, uh, the bills jets game was riddled with mistakes. Uh, Rams Buccaneers as well. So, you know, it, we just one of those weekends in football. It's, it's very, uh, very, uh, 
you know, up and down every weekend. It feels like and we, we every week I feel like I have a grasp on it, and then the next weekend it's completely different. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, and I still think the Bills and the Chiefs are probably the best two teams in football right now, but the Dolphins are sneaking up there as well. The Ravens looked pretty good on Monday night. Um, the Niners will always be there, especially with McCaffrey now. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting, uh, interesting to see as this plays out throughout the rest of the season. We're officially past halfway in the NFL season, if you can believe that. So the, the real teams are going to start breaking themselves apart from the fakers, the, the, the makers and the fakers. That was kind of stupid. All right, let's, that's going to wrap it up. That's going to wrap up the show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed. Remember to hit the uh, follow button. Remember to rate. I would really appreciate that. Share it with, share the podcast with your friend, with some, uh, with some friends. I'd greatly appreciate that. That is going to wrap it up though. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning into the weekend sports wrap podcast. I've been your host, James Timberlake.